Welcome to the Analytics Power Hour. Analytics topics covered conversationally and sometimes with explicit language. Hi everyone, it's the Analytics Power Hour and this is episode 235. Hey Analytics Power Hour listeners, it is that time. We couldn't be more thankful for you listening to the show this year and being awesome at analytics. Maybe as a result, or probably already awesome, we probably had very little to do with it. But what a year it has been. <laughs> we have fully transitioned the show to an AI, so this is not even a human talking at this point. Uh, we also added two new co-hosts this year, which has been a huge success. But yeah, this is it, the year in review show when we brought everybody. So let's introduce everyone. We have Josh Crowhurst. Welcome, Josh. Hey, good to be here. It's nice to have you on the show for the year in review still. We also have Val Kroll. Welcome, Val. Thank you very much. Very ready to be reviewing. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> Tim Wilson, as always. Hey, yeah, and it's good to see Josh. Josh was that didn't announce that, didn't, didn't reflect on that, that Josh was on some shows earlier in the year, not just making his annual appearance, which was nice. That's true. And Julie Hoyer, welcome. Hey, everyone. Hi. And Mo Kiss. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Mo, how you going? <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's like you just ran in from out of the room, <laughs> coming in hot. And I am Michael Helbling. Well, we have our plates full and the time will fly by. So let's dig right into it. This year, we wanted to look back on 2023 at sort of major themes that shaped our industry. And in quintessential fashion, Tim put together a handy-dandy R app to rank our voting of topics. So while you know we won't actually stick to that order, at least he tried. And what do you think came up as number one? I think I will let somebody else you, you, say. UTM parameter structure? UTM, it- that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bounce rate. Bounce rate is back. (laughs) What's a good bounce rate? That's right. What's a good bounce rate? We're going to spend the hour talking about what's a good bounce rate. Oh, wow. I'm not going to say any more about that. But no, I think it's no surprise that probably the most voted item for 2023 was generative AI, AGI, whatever you want to call it. And certainly the last couple of months gave us no shortage of drama in that space in terms of open AI, which we can talk about if we want to. But yeah, why did we vote that number one? I have no idea. Maybe the AI <laughs> voted it number one. Oh my gosh. We don't even want to talk about this, but the computer's making us. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy how much that is like, that is the zeitgeist right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it feels like it's, there's the really cool stuff that's happening with it. And then there's the, everyone and their cousin jumping on the train and defining things Mm. that, you know, yeah, what you're doing is uh, machine learning and you're referring to that as AI or what you're doing is, you know, statistics and you're referring to it as AI, but. um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I probably like saw a different thing, which was that I guess the reason I think of it as being so popular is I actually genuinely can't think of like the last time in my life where something is so dramatically changing, like my ways of working, even individually. And then obviously like working at a tech company, there's the effect on our own product and our own ways of working. But like 
me personally, like it's actually changing how I do my job or like how I uh, spitball team name ideas or other stupid shit or come up with like lyrics to a song for my baby, you know, just all these fun (laughs) use cases that are just like, I don't know. It's like actually like you can notice your life change because of it. Mm -hmm. And I just don't remember the last time that happened with the technology. I mean, the, the internet kind of, kind of did that for some the of last us. time I remember it. <laughs> oh, that you remember it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, back in my day, we didn't have no internet. <laughs> Can I ask, like, it's funny, like the AI stuff has come on and AI is obviously driven by data or data if you're in Australia. And that it, it spent this period where I feel like there's, there's times where it's like, oh, this, this is analytics, which to me, the more I've thought about it, like it's, it is a very cool and powerful and useful thing. And it is a useful tool for an analyst in many, many different ways. But it's, it's been interesting to me that it's like, everybody's looking for the easy button. And I think we're still in a mode of where there are, there are analysts and there are stakeholders saying, oh, can I just ask the AI, you know, what my KPIs should be. Can I just ask the API to find me an insight? Like things that I think it's uniquely not equipped to do well. And it's just, it's kind of disheartening to see some aspects of the industry think, oh, now we've, now we've solved it. Like we don't have to have the curiosity or the technical chops or the stakeholder relationship management or the thoughtful, creative thinking going on. Cause we have the AI and it's like, actually, no, like there's a lot of really cool stuff with it. But then I look at the core of what I see analysts doing and I'm like, no, the AI is augmenting aspects of that, but it's just not replacing what I think is the kind of most, the hardest and most interesting aspects of analytics. Yeah, I think like from my side, I'm seeing this like at least in my organization, there's a lot of excitement around, okay, we're going to do self-serve analytics with AI. Like you're just going to put your query in, you're going to type what you're looking for. The AI is going to interpret that and then it's go, it's going to go and it's going to actually, you know, do the underlying analysis and come up with the, the insight, right? And that makes me nervous. <laughs> I, and it also oh, makes me think really? a little bit about, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm getting these like, like, uh, certain people in my organization are saying, oh, this is like, this is, you know, this should be our big, our big focus. We should be making this something that we're, we're building for our stakeholders in like in the next year. And I'm like, uh, hang on. I don't, I don't think we're there yet. And also, even if that were possible, um, I think that it's, it's, it's still a bit dangerous. Yeah. It makes me nervous. It's interesting you say that exact or like example because I was just catching up on some newsletters and one from Ben Stansel. He was talking about AI and he was actually talking about an example like people say, oh, just use it to do all of your SQL queries. And he was like, but if you're an analyst, you know, when someone says a generic question, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden you're saying, yeah. well, do you need your to date? What's your time period? What's the mm-hmm. definition of the metric you're actually asking me to pull? Oh, did that change? Is the ETL broken? Like all these things that an analyst would have to know. Don't forget to exclude this thing because we always have to exclude right. this thing. Or like different geolocations, right? And so you'd, even if you were prompted by 
AI then to say, like, ask you those spe- like specific things, those are just like inherent trip ups that analysts run into. And then if those change over time, it was interesting. He was saying, so the people that got into AI to do cool advanced stuff just become the keeper of like the black box and making sure the data is healthy. Yeah. It's like this full circle thing. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. But so as in like, because what I take away from that, like I'm, I'm kind of smooshing together two thoughts from like Tim and then Julie and Josh is like, I still think of it as like AI is there to do the simple stuff. And the thing that's actually mm. hardest about it is to do the prompting well to get the right mm. output. And that's why I, it actually kind of doesn't scare me because even as what you're describing of like, okay, I'm going to use AI to write my SQL query. It's like, I still need to do the same thinking. The difference is maybe I don't need to have the syntax perfect, or maybe I can just like yeah, yeah. write in plain text, exclude this bucket of users because it's not accurate or internal users, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. but like you still have to do the thinking and you still need to give your thinking to the machine. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But Josh, weren't you, weren't you saying it going to the, the, if the business asks, the business asks the yeah, AI, yeah, yeah. that's, that's the terrifying that, that's what makes me nervous, right? So what you were describing, Mo, about how it's there for the simple task, that's that's exactly where I'm kind of landing on it right now with the current applications. We at Further, our technology practice lead, ran a Gen AI robo mind battle, as he called it, where we put together these like random teams of people to try to develop solutions that we could, you know, bolt on to things that we do at search discovery. And the intention was to make it client facing, but the majority of the teams actually ended up presenting solutions that were increasing operational efficiencies or would turn inward to help assist one part of the process that we felt was like especially arduous or like not something that was like a good use of the analyst time. But it still required exactly what you said, like that thoughtful process up front. It was really just like an accelerant. And so I thought that that was interesting that everyone's like, yeah, solutions. And then it was like, yeah, to help the analysts. <laughs> And it was all mostly <laughs> internal things. Well, and, that, and that's like, if you ask the like the business, how many times of analysts have we had somebody say, I have a quick question or I have a simple question. And so when we say, oh, the AI can do the simple stuff, well, it's pretty common for somebody to think it's a simple question and then it's mm. the human that responds. And I mean, it's it, it's easy to sound like a gatekeeper, but it's just... If one out of 10 of those where they just say it's a simple question and then they just get the answer and they run and broadcast it and then it's it's out there and you've got data distrust. Okay, just let's just take a step back, right? Like you can have stupid people now who can look at a graph and completely misinterpret it. So like the only difference now is that the person is like potentially asking the question of AI, visualizing it, whatever it is, getting an answer and like it is still about fundamentally a person misinterpreting because they've asked the wrong thing or they like haven't given the right inputs or whatever it is. Right. So like, I just don't, as the person who started this conversation by being like, it's completely changed everything. I'm now like, it hasn't actually changed anything. It's still about teaching people how to ask the right question and like what those caveats are and like how to think through a problem. Like, it's just using a different tool, which might be a bit better or like make things a bit easier. Yeah, I'm just going to get oh, preachy and I, I would, I would I feel stop. Like Tim is getting angry and well, I would, I would stop short as referring to the people being stupid and misinterpreted. Like that, like that, that is kind of the, we talked a lot about like relationship yeah, and skill stuff, fair. right? So just, just that, fair. that 
caveat. I mean, I don't know. This is, there are a million angles to, to go on this. All right, it's time to step away from the show for a quick word about Pyrrhic Pro. Tim, tell us about it. Well, Pyrrhic Pro is easy to implement, easy to use, and reminiscent of Google's universal analytics in a lot of ways. I love that it's got basic data views for less technical users, but it keeps advanced features like segmentation, custom reporting, and calculated metrics for power users. We're running Pyrrhic Pro's free plan on the podcast website, but they also have a paid plan that adds scale and some additional features. That's right. So head over to Pyrrhic.pro and check them out for yourself. Get started with their free plan. That's Pyrrhic.pro. All right, let's get back to the show. I think the key thing is that we're generative, right? When I think about analytics and AI, I always remember that it's a generative AI, which means it's built to make stuff up. And so depending on how you ask, it may give you things you do or you don't want. And the way you ask, and like, I think Mo, you talked about this, like prompt engineering, kind of giving it the guardrails to pursue the answer that you're looking for. That's kind of the skill set. I think this isn't an original idea with me. I think I heard this from Mike Taylor, but he sort of said, I think prompt engineering will be like the Excel skill going into the future. Mm. So like if you're, mm. if you're good at pivot tables today, tomorrow you'll be good at prompt engineering. That'll sort of be mm. the, the skill to have in the, in the future. But it, I think that's to me, when I think about it, the applications, there's so many of them, but I find that it's mostly for me so far been an efficiency, like you said, Val, like uh, in a kind of an efficiency play so far. I haven't used it to analyze data yet. But can we just, I mean, I think there, that we do have a semantic kind of challenge and that AI has been around. People have been doing things that that count as AI for years. Generative AI. Uh, no, I'm is, pretty sure it was this year, Tim, was the first well, time. <laughs> Well, but, but I think like, you're right. I, I keep trying to do, say like the generative AI, I think is what's super, super unique, but then that somehow caused a feedback loop to people that are like, we're using AI and what they're doing is not generative AI. It's fine. Like they're getting a, they're getting a boost from it. I think it gets combined. And then you have AGI, right? The artificial general intelligence, which I'm a little fuzzier on, right? But that's, that's actually. I think a different world and that's, it's always the danger when something catches such fire that people are kind of just throwing around willy nilly. Like if you go to Joe on the street and say, what do you know about AI? There's a pretty good chance it's going to be chat GPT, which is generative AI. But then you've got, let me automatically generate your data catalog and update it. I don't know if that's generative AI, but I mean, it's, it's fun. I'm like, I, Mo, back to your point, like the, yeah, it is fundamentally, there's not a week goes by that I'm not trying something out. And it's like, well, that's wild. And I could not have comprehended doing that a year ago. Mm. And that's both mm. with kind of the code stuff as well as the uh, like image and text stuff. Pictures from far away, right on your <laughs> TV at your house. Yeah. I tried to use ChatGPT to help write some of the social media posts for the Power Hour, and it is terrible at trying to be funny. Oh my god! I was like, yeah, "This is cool. not yes. helpful at all." <laughs> Maybe that's a non-engineering uh, issue. Josh, are you saying that yeah. this is a me problem? <laughs> <laughs> that's like a Val problem. <laughs> 
But I was just thinking like, oh man, yeah, that was something that I really, like anytime I've tried to do that, I totally sucked at it. I would totally go to chat GPT to try it. And that's discouraging that it didn't work for you. <laughs> Made me feel better about what I was putting together. <laughs> but, but Michael, you used it for some of kind of the, 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 the re-Xing or the re, right. I mean, you have, you have used it successfully with, uh, Anthropic and some other. Yeah. But anything I've actually used, like, like for a tweet or something like that, I've had to basically rewrite what the AI gives me. And even when we did a show about AI this year, Mo immediately remarked how acerbic and dry the intro was and not funny it was. And so (laughs) like right away, a human can tell that there's this sort of anodyne nature to the way it produces text, which I think is sort of like a, a little marker that it's, it does struggle, I think with humor, but again, like I think it will improve as it gets better. Maybe that's why they got rid of Sam Altman for a couple of days. You know, maybe he finally got it to tell jokes or something. I don't know. <laughs> that's what the board's issue really was. Yeah, that's it's, it's like it's too yeah. smart. They can tell dad jokes now. Is, is now a good time to 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 maybe wrap this topic by introducing the the local language model little thing that our listeners can play oh, with yeah. for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about it, Tim? Uh sure. So, I mean, if you followed LLMs at all and then people talk about having local LLMs and as it happens, we have a local large language model based on all of our past episodes. So, this was a company called Astral, tryastral.com that they kind of are geared towards taking things, organizations, people that have a decent corpus, a decent set of content and saying, what happens if you build an LLM off of that? So if you go to, you can go to the show notes or probably on our homepage at some point, but the URL of bit.ly slash APH dash astral, A-S-T-R-A-L, you basically get a chat bot as well as some kind of prompts in a feed. It is a rapidly developing tool, but we would kind of love for you to play around with it. Astral would love for you to play around with it. Maybe the one request is it'd be awesome if you a thumbs up or thumbs down the responses you get. Like we have as a as a group have gotten some amazing answers and have gotten some absolutely terrible answers and we've asked it some stupid questions and gotten some silly answers. So it's kind of fun it, it, and we've been kind of chatting with their actually Michael and I just earlier today, we're talking with their head of product about sort of where they're seeing it go. But it's kind of like been a nice shortcut for us and that we didn't have to actually do any of the technical work. And we are definitely finding some things that are that are weird. But it's also been the idea of if we have all of this content with the guests we've had, the hosts that we've had shifting over the years, it's kind of wild if you ask a question like, you know, what are the key skills for an analyst and get the response from it and know that that's coming just from the podcast. It's a little, a little, um, I guess, terrifying, terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and this is like their idea is that for people or organizations that are generating a lot of content, they can actually have for their audience, a way to kind of ask them questions. Cause I certainly don't remember everything we've talked about. Um, so if you want to try it out, play around with it, it's out there. It requires like you can two clicks with your Google account, you can create an account, but it's, it's, 
it's new. Even from between now and when this show releases, there will be enhancements to the to yep. the platform. But uh, and we'll have a link on the show notes page on the website. So yeah, we'd love for you to try it out and ask questions. Send us the biggest screw ups it sends you or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, feel feel It'll free to tweet and tag us or throw it on LinkedIn if you find something yeah. funny or terrible or great. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of. Oh, wait, no, I won't, I won't start it that way. But, You're speaking you know, of terrible? It's interesting. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh, you know, another big thing that happened for a lot of analytics users out there was a big change to Google Analytics, right? So the sunsetting of Universal <laughs> Analytics into GA4. And so <laughs> this year was the year that happened. I'm not qualifying that with a good or a bad, although it's been an interesting journey. I know there's lots of people who don't use Google Analytics or don't use it as their primary analytics tool. So it's not really about that, but it's something I think affects a pretty broad swath of the industry and our audience. So I thought it was an interesting topic for us to maybe chat about briefly. I don't know. What do we think? How did, how did it go? If you were given like a little postmortem to Google on the launch of their new tool. Are there other examples of where a platform has like just fundamentally changed its paradigm? Like, you know, if, if power BI said we're going to move away from, I mean, I know of, I remember software programs when they moved from a DOS interface to a windows interface, um, Sorry, I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of keep going with the age things. That was right around when the. I was like, Mo, do you remember that one? (laughs) You remember that one, Mo? When you went from MS-DOS to Windows 3.1. It's a big change for all of us. Um, OS2. But I mean, that, it was an interesting, it's Google. So Google can, can kind of do whatever Google wants. And that's been kind of the complaint. People were kind of stuck with it, but I mean, they fundamentally said, we're going to change the data model. We're going to change the data collection. We're going to change the interface to access the data where they kind of changed. We're going to change the fundamental metrics that people have gotten used to. And we're just going to, I don't even think Google have ever done anything like this. Like I know they could do it and they did do it, but like, I don't think there are a lot of examples of Google doing stuff like this. They tend to keep stuff like more similar. We're going to make the main search page be wrapped with banners. We're going to be inspired by Baidu.com and make, yeah. I remember when Universal Analytics first came out and people were talking about it. I remember being at a Google event and someone from Google saying, yeah, we still get Urchin.js calls from way back when GA was Urchin. And so they, they still accepted them. So yeah, this is definitely a big departure. And it's fascinating. I try to be somewhat sanguine about sort of like changes like that and, you know, sort of even keel. But I think for me, the biggest challenge was that we did a fair amount of work this year on that platform. And and notable to me was how buggy it was and how much time was spent trying to figure out is something wrong or is this just a weird data bug problem that we're having at this, on this particular moment or day. And it just took a lot of cycles. And I feel like it really affected a lot of people. Like when you're doing your job or trying to do your job well, 
it stinks when the product you're using isn't holding up to your standards. That's probably the way I'd mm-hmm. like to say it. Do you think, though, potentially it's also something that just like in kind of a shitty way would have really affected smaller businesses Oh, so yeah. much more because like bigger uh, businesses, they can afford to throw a bunch of money. They can afford to have a one year like migration plan, all that sort of stuff. But for like little businesses, this would have been so hard. Yeah. And I think the other part of that is just, you know, businesses that are using it more from a business user perspective and not having like a full-time analytics team, right? Cause people are used to those easy to use reports in the interface and, you know, the the new version is much more technical, right? So if you don't have a full-time analytics team, mm. that's going to suck. I think what made me sort of disheartening is because it, it basically got lots of people. It was kind of like GDPR and that it kind of gave free license to so much of our industry to focus on the tool and the migration and how are we going to backfill what you had and replace it and conversations with business partners being, well, let me explain why there's no bounce rate, but now it's an engagement rate. And, and to me, like the a big risk is because there's such a big player in the market, like all the stuff we were just talking about with generative AI and an analyst needing to have conversations with the business. And now the analyst has to have conversations about why this metric is no longer available or this metric has changed or why we can't do anything because we're busy updating this technology mm. platform. And and it's like that, to me, that feels like it's kind of insidiously just pushed this back. I mean, the I still like the, the measure Slack has so much discussion going on around Mm -hmm. how do I wire this stuff up to make it work and do what I'm expecting. It's so much like debugging of the platform as opposed to elevating the conversation in the, in the questions. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it was a big step back for a lot of organizations for their trust in their data, which just takes us back to your point, Tim, like to square one, for like analysts or data practitioners, you know, they take all this time to implement the new thing. And now they're like having to work again with their business partners to say like, these are the new numbers. They don't match the old numbers, but you should trust these new numbers. So Mm. yeah, I think that was a big setback. Which is, which is, which did plug why, why one platform, you know, public pro said, we're just going to kind of give you, you know, our lovely sponsor said, you know what, it's still, it's still switching to another tool for people that want to kind of keep, keep the old, but sorry, couldn't, couldn't resist putting the attaboy on for them. You were going to say Val, I'm sorry. No, no, that's good. It's a good call out. I was just going to say that selfishly in my realm where I focus um, my work with clients a lot and like the research experimentation optimization space, the sunset of optimize, obviously not the same thing, but related was like a really interesting moment for us because mm-hmm. the, the archetype of the client who doesn't pay for a testing tool because optimize came free was very different than who we typically had worked with. And so they loved having the ability to, when it was the time was right, or someone suggested it in a meeting, having the ability to run that content experiment, but not necessarily investing in like the full blown program. But now they feel like they're at 
a loss. And so now they're thinking about, well, I have to spend, you know, 15 grand for VWO or ABTC or some of those other smaller players. And now they're thinking, how do I justify that investment and who should own this program? And so it kind of like became a moment to like start a bigger conversation. And it was really interesting. Some of the organizations that were like, well, if we're going to do this, we're just going to do this. Like we're going to go optimizely. You should tell us like what job oh, recs we need to hire up for. And surprising. it was just like a, it took so many different directions I wasn't expecting, but it allowed us to talk to a lot of different client types or prospects. And it, it um, opened my eyes to a lot of different, you know, aspects of this that I hadn't considered about making a case for in a really long time. So it was interesting. It, it caused a lot of interesting conversation. I think I just said interesting yeah. six times, but it was, it really was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> to, so to what extent, to what extent do you all think that this may be representative of maybe just a Google struggling a little bit on execution across the board? Like, you know, we just had a big conversation about generative AI. None of us brought up Google Bard, but they're out there, right? But so like, that's what I mean. Like, is, is Google just becoming like another IBM or Oracle type slow player and not the pace setter that they once were? I feel like Google Analytics specifically, because it was always not a loss leader, but it was like, here's how we sell more. I feel like they have taken their eye off the ball and knowing, you know, knowing enough people who are or were kind of on that team like i do get the sense that google was like we're investing in this google analytics thing and the the money comes in from another channel i mean where they're making bank on on search but it was it was kind of weird like they understood that dynamic for a while and then it does seem like i think specifically mm -hmm. on the google analytics that there was a there was a failure in sort of execution and rollout. Although granted every passing year, their footprint gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Like it's take a massive hundred year old company. Mm. It's a lot harder for them to, to shift. And Google's now been around Google analytics sure. has been around for a long time. So I, I do think the, it becomes more challenging, the more entrenched that you are, but, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to give up on their, I'm not going to say that their AI execution is struggling. Not that they haven't had some, some black eyes. Well, all I know is Google Analytics was doing just fine until Chris decided and left. And then, <laughs> you know, so okay. maybe Google, you got to look into that. <laughs> <clears throat> the views expressed on this podcast are, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, everybody knows already. Personal yeah. in nature. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's shift to maybe something a little more positive. How about? <laughs> well, I was. I mean, we we could we could stay negative you, a little bit. You're going to direct us to something positive? No, I I was waiting for one of you to jump in and say, "Oh yeah, this." I yeah, I'm not the one to do that. I can jump to another kind of negative, but uh, most of the the ones on this list. Jeez, oh, <laughs> of course you can't, Tim. No, this year was a big year, I think, for marketing mix modeling. I think that was something that kind of like people were starting to get a bigger grasp around. Some cool technologies came out. People are getting more focus on it. It's starting to slowly become maybe even like something people are willing to like pursue instead of multi-touch attribution. Well, 
<laughs> I, I do feel like this year there was maybe a bit more traction with marketers as in like, mm. I feel like the data community was kind of already there, but I feel like this yeah. year is the year that mm. like, and this is me personally again, but I feel like I haven't had to explain incrementality as many times this year as I have in previous years That's or like, important. like the concept of like MMMs and how they work with experimentation and that, well, I mean, this is obviously hyper-personalized now, but um, mm. I, I do feel like there was quite a bit of progress there. And there's also just a lot of vendors, a lot more vendors in the market now. Yeah. And also just the availability of some of these open source. Um, I mean, Meta has their they're Robin. Uh, and they also have an open source. I just learned about GeoLift for geo experiments, like another package they put out for that. They had their, they had a session the other day. It was, I think they called it their open source marketing science summit, something like that. Um, and I was on that one and that was kind of cool just to see what's coming out, like Python API for Robin. Um, first time I ran into this GeoLift package and then, you know, immediately going to start exploring these, just personally in my own work. So I think that's kind of cool that, 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 that they've done that. And I may put a link to that one in the show notes because uh, that was kind of an interesting session. <laughs> I think, I mean, one, I remember, I remember Mo, I mean, and you and I offline talking about how do you explain incrementality quickly and simply and clearly a year or two ago. So I wholeheartedly endorse mm. that. And I, and I think Josh, I mean, and that's, if we look at the community from the, MMM, I mean, big hats off to Jim Genolio for all the work he's done to try to really support. And Michael Kaminsky, who was, you know, previous guest on this show, not talking about MMM, but there does feel like there's a community coalescing around that. There is a Slack team for MMM. And those discussions are fascinating because there are people who are really smart and really knowledgeable. And some of the questions I can barely even understand. And then you also see the questions coming in where it's like, okay, now people think this is their silver bullet and MMM is going to do everything for them. So it's like, there's a, there's an adoption curve for all of these. I remember a few years ago when, when I was at what the company now known as further search discovery and a new head of data science came in who she was like, look, it's, it's MMM. Like that's, that's all it. And I'm like, no, 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 it's it's randomized controlled trials. It's, it's all that. And I feel like she was, I mean, she was maybe over indexing a little to the MMM. I was over indexing to the experimentation. And now, I mean, I don't know how much is me personally versus the industry, the MMM, conversation seems to be talking a lot about experimentation, complementing MMM and sure you can mm -hmm. keep your multi-touch attribution, but we had, was it John Williams? Who's the lift lab guy, Mo, that we had on John Wallace, John Wallace, John um, Wallace. Yeah. That, that <laughs> was kind of in that vein. And I was like, at the time I was like, this is wild. And some of this is, I think Canva's doing some of this, now it feels like there are lots of people saying, sure, I see where these fit mm. in together. And what's crazy is none of that is this user level tracking bullshit, you know, where you just get sucked into yeah. the minutia of how can you deceive the user so that you can 
actually track and target them in a way that they don't want you to do, but you're staying, you're telling yourself that you're okay. So I do think that's really exciting. I think the like the loss of some of that data, like coming to terms with it is kind of maybe part of the reason that this is coming back up and maybe Mo to your point, why it's coming more in the realm of the marketers even, because it's like just coming to grips with that reality, especially as we near the next cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, there's too many topics and too short a time. So we're going to change our focus a little bit. And yeah, we didn't even talk about things like privacy, which is obviously all with us, always with us and changes happening all the time. But Julie, what do we got to look forward to in 2024? (laughs) What's top of mind for you? Oh boy. Um, I feel like going into next year, obviously we're still going to have generative AI stuff. I feel like so many people have that on their 2024 strategies, plannings. I hear it all over. They want to figure out how to use it um, in their day to day. So I wouldn't be shocked there. And then I do feel like there's going to be a lot going on with generative AI specifically for the elections. I know people have been talking about next year is going to be crazy with that. And people are talking about how do you identify what's been created by AI, generative AI, and what hasn't been. So I think that'll be, I've heard people talk about that quite a bit. Trust nothing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do your own research. (laughs) (laughs) Stop too. I mean, is it with the the generative AI, like the that sort of sea change and needing data and needing data, especially I think as as organizations, there's a heightened awareness of the the risk. Like you want to use your data with generative AI, perhaps, and does that bring kind of a increased need for sort of data engineering and the the infrastructure talent that both understands how these things work and then also can in a safely and traceable way pipe the data where it needs to be to to use it like are there people out there like i, I get periodically people emailing you know anybody who can you know with these sorts of etl and architecture skills and i'm like I, in in central Ohio for 10 to 20 hours a week. And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I don't like, is there going to be a talent issue <laughs> yeah. on the infrastructure side? I mean, are we still talking about AI or are we talking about just generally in analytics? Probably both. Both. It is, it's interesting. So like from an AI perspective, I totally agree with you, Julie, 2024 is going to be still at the very top of that. Gartner hype cycle, inflated expectations mm. type activity. It just everyone wants to put their hands on it. And the way I heard somebody explain it is like every C-level executive is telling their org, do something with AI. And the entire org is like, well, what do we do? Like, mm. And so there's going to be mm-hmm. so much figuring out. And there's so, such expectation that it's going to solve major things or do major things. And it, it does have cool applications all over the place. And and it is interesting, like, I'm not versed enough on it to know, like, well, what will transcend whatever in 2024. But I agree, Tim, like, there's a lot of trending towards sort of, you know, private LLMs at the company level or things like that, where you're kind of making your own little 
AI it does something specific for your organization and things like that. So that that's kind of interesting. I also think, you know, there's been court cases already about, you know, the content that AI consumes and how is that copyrighted or not copyrighted. And it'll be very interesting to see how those legal battles kind of find their way through to, to sort of indicate sort of like, well, what is AI allowed to consume and then regurgitate? And what rights do mm-hmm. copyright holders have in those in that process? I just heard an interesting interview with Sam Altman, actually, where he's talking about exactly that, right? And his his point was, well, they shouldn't just be regurgitating. It's it's taking that information and to some extent, I mean, the word he used was learning from it. And he said, well, if people can read content and learn and synthesize and generate their own content off the back of that, then why can't LLMs? I thought that was an interesting perspective. Oh, so is he equating it to a person now, is he? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sorry. Well, one of the things that you said, Michael, too, about the the talent part with generative AI, I I do think it's going to be interesting which companies are going to be really good at reskilling their people instead of just hiring in. Because to your point, I don't think there's a bunch of people out there Mm-hmm. in the job market, just ready to be hired to step in there. And I think it would be more beneficial to the organization, keeping people who know their business and their data intimately. And like I've worked with it for years to actually give them space and time to reskill into the generative AI space. But that's always tricky because what if they're really good at their current job? You know, it's like, how do you carve out space for them to do that and still stay profitable and don't let those other responsibilities fall? So I think that's going to be an interesting hurdle. I'm excited yeah. for the job descriptions that are like 10 plus years experience. Generative AI. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, did you see the uh, kill switch engineer job description? Just while we're on that, open AI kill switch engineer. Um, no. <laughs> Too terminally online for this group. But there was a, a, it's like a meme of open AI posted at kill switch engineer. And it's just like, Oh, you know, like we just need someone to stand by the servers and, you know, throw some water on them if this thing starts going haywire. 500K per year. That's an important job. Oh, my God. Willing to work weekends. (laughs) Um, Uh, I'm sorry, Hal. I cannot do that for you. Uh, so, so it does tie into another topic, though, Tim, that you kind of surfaced, which is around talent, which is, Certainly, there's a ton of talent that's leaning into AI, and we're all trying to explore that and figure out where it works and where it doesn't and scaling into that space. But I also know that because of things like the rollout of GA4 and other things like media mix modeling and marketing mix modeling, there's now this need more than ever for analytics engineering talent in organizations that haven't historically had that. And I see a ton of need for that going into 2024 as well. Yeah, there's not. It- I just, I feel like they've always been there. We're just calling it something different. And like, I do think that we potentially need to have more of those skills. And that's because people are doing stuff in-house more and yeah. like maybe less dependent on tools that do like the ETL component for them or like they want things to be highly customized and build things themselves. But like, I feel like, I've been the bearer of that skill gap for a while. Like, I don't feel like yeah. there's enough people in that field, but I yeah. I don't feel like it's... The only difference, so I would say, Mo, is I've worked with a lot of companies this year that have stood up a data warehouse for the very first time because of GA4. Really? Yes. 
Wow. So a marketing data warehouse is a brand new thing in certain places and certainly in the medium-sized business sector where a lot of my mm. clients are. That's not something they historically have done for marketing analytics or dig, di, digital analytics. And now it's a necessity. Mm. And so that's where I see this gap emerging is, sure, there's plenty of analytics engineers and we're always in demand for those. But there is a whole new part of the economy opening up to this need that hasn't really needed it before. And it'll be very interesting. At, at the same time, I don't know if I recollect a time when I've had more friends not having jobs in the analytics industry in terms of just layoffs or, you know, mm. in between work or whatever. And so I'm just, it's, it's an interesting, weird time because it's sort of like, Which, okay, so is it sort of like a, like you said, Julie, is it sort of like a skill hopping issue of sort of like, we need to move from sort of being digital analysts to being data analysts and analytics engineers with the right skill sets or so it's just, it's very interesting. When I, when I think of, I mean, I know some super talented, thoughtful, creative, experienced analysts who have been caught up in layoffs for whatever reasons. And to me, it's super disheartening. Like what, what scares me is if we say, Oh, the problem is we need more data engineers, like there's, there's part of me that says, good Lord, if we just scrapped all the data, I'm not going to worry about the marketing and their wants to creepily do retargeting and targeting of their audiences, throw all that out from an analytics perspective. Like what if we had no data outside of revenue at an aggregate level and said, instead of hiring that, all that infrastructure, we're just going to come up with really good questions and we're going to do it purely experimentally or something like that's what's what what scares me is that this becomes this death spiral of chasing the data completeness and the data quality and the multiple data sources and i i do like fundamentally at my core think that that is that is scary because you can suck that that Doing that will will expand whatever re investment you can put into analytics. That can be it can be filled with that, and I think there's an opportunity to say, "What if you stop and say it's good enough, and you focus on the business?" So, do you think, Tim, um, like just trying to understand, like exactly the problem? Is it, is it like we're getting too complex and like ultimately our practices and like how we're, I don't know, modeling data and all that stuff is just like we're, we're focusing on complexity instead of whether we're asking the right questions. And that if we focused on whether we asked the right question, you would actually realize you would probably get a good enough answer with some less complicated practices. Is that the TLDR? Yeah. I mean, Matt Gershoff, and I'm, I'm sure he did not coin this because Matt will never take credit for coining anything, but he was like the, the just in case versus just in data collection. And I'm like, that's, that's another like brilliant phrase I've picked up from him that we, we index to the just in case, like we, we better add that mm -hmm. data source because we're going to need to be able to do year over year comparisons of clicks on the global nav or, you know, what, it, whatever it, whatever it is. And, and it's just spirals. I mean, look at the MarTech landscape mm. explosion. Well, I mean, 
everyone, even the, the categories have, the number of categories has exploded. And you say, well, realistically, you're going to have lines connecting every one of those generates data and you want to, to connect them. And I, it feels wrong to me because you, I watched the discussions be around which data is correct. Can we have this other data? Can we connect this ID who completed a lead to the ultimate conversion? I mean, I was having a discussion with another industry person and I'm like, Oh my God, like you could, it's a good idea. You had a good idea and then poorly executed an experiment. And now you're in the minutia of the weeds of trying to exclude bots and do this mm. and do that. And instead you could have just said, what if we designed an experiment? Well, took a big swing and then all of that yeah. goes away. Um, so there's like simpler answers that aren't more complex. Do you data. think the complexity is going to help the pendulum swing back because we even talked on a few episodes this year about like better defining the the problem and i've heard that a little bit more with some groups i've worked with this year and it i do wonder because everyone's kind of realizing oh, oh it's so complex people have been more or their eyes have been open more because of you know privacy and other things going on that like collection of data has never been perfect it isn't going to be perfect moving forward so do you think that will help push people actually to kind of like focus back in on like I need to be asking a better question. So then when you dive into the complexity, you've like better structured your guardrails around like what you actually need to care about looking at because you know the the like problem you're actually trying to solve and the question um, is more clear. God, I hope so. <laughs> but I well, the thing I was going to say earlier, so you talked about that there's some clients that you've worked with that are stood up for a data warehouse for the first time. It'll be really interesting to see how they leapfrog past some of the pain points that a lot of other companies have been experiencing along the way. Cause I just learned, I might be late to the party, but I just learned what data mesh is that whole like decentralized data architecture model. And I was like, well, shit, just when we thought that we understood the problem, <laughs> I think that that's going to be another thing that adds potentially complexity, even though I think it's intended to be more simple. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's another, it's another layer of consideration. The whole modern data stack. I mean, there's another like Ben Stansel shout out. Like, I feel like he is, whether he's intended to or not, he's leading the charge with kind of wringing his hands about, oh my God, keep having, we keep having the new solution and the new solution. Oh, it just, you, you just add one more, well, seven more pieces of technology and just stitch them together and then wish away the cost of that complexity. And then it'll all be good. I mean, data lakes, remember when data lakes like, like exploded? I mean, there have been Tim, some. I just feel like, I mean, it's all a bit negative. Like, isn't this what we strive to do? We strive to build something better to like fix the problem, to build technology, to make things easier. And like, yes, I agree that it increases complexity or like, I don't know, but like, I, I feel like the intent is good and the world and the technology that yeah, we're existing not, not in is like getting more complicated. So therefore solutions yeah. are getting more complicated. Well, I th you, you're the one who called stakeholders. <laughs> also, I want oh. to retract to, that. Uh, Can we please retract that? I'm mortified. I said that because if someone said that to me, I would be like, oh, I, oh, 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 we do not call people stupid. So I'm very sorry I, for saying that. 
Oh, it would have come out of my mouth, and this could have easily, it could have been switched, it could have come out of my mouth, and you could have called me on it. So, But the key is that there is a human nature instinct to say, what can I add to this to make it better? And I think that is a massive challenge to say, what could I remove to make it simpler? And now, not only if I realize that, I've got to convince somebody else that they don't need that data. They don't need that integration. They don't. I had a friend who spent like three years at a major financial institution doing nothing but data cataloging of terms when he said, this is a waste of time. Nobody uses it. We are making a data dictionary for the purpose of having a data dictionary that no one uses. He was like, this is insane and I can't get them to stop. So I think I, it's just recognizing what we're being drawn towards. Sorry, Michael. I had, yeah, I had I, to get, I had I, to get that out. <laughs> no, I think maybe what we're seeing is that the, to your point, Mo, the increase in complexity is splitting what we have typically considered digital analytics or analytics. It's splitting it out into its component parts. There's some technology associated with this that's now moving back over into the technology function. And they're analysts and analysts do things that look at how do we add value? How do we hypothesize and create a valuable outcome? And and so like to your point, Tim, it's like that what you just said, it's sort of like, well, let's get it down to its brass text. So how do we drive something of value through this information that we have? And maybe one of the places that AI can help us is an analyst can sit down and ask an AI Hey, describe this data set to me. Tell me everything I need to know about it and ramp up their data acquisition skills, a la what Violetta Apgar talked about in getting ready to expose and do analysis in, in better and better ways. But there's a lot of people in our industry who are actually more like technologists or developers or, you know, data engineers or analytics engineers. And they actually are more technical and, that's fun too. It's just a different profession or emerging into a different type of profession. And I think maybe that's what's happening is we're seeing that slowly split apart. And it's certainly going to be underappreciated or under misunderstood at a sort of corporate level because those things are slow to change. But it is but can exciting. I just remount my soapbox one more time. Like if you ask who gets paid <laughs> oh, with the geez. increased oh, technology. Geez. Is there any chance that you wouldn't necessarily do it? Or is it for sure geared to I am the pro- I'm producing this episode. Okay. Well, then go ahead. <laughs> I mean, if you think about who gets paid when you add complexity, a lot of times that's adding technology and the technology yeah. vendors get paid when you add the technology, not when value gets realized down the road. Consultants That's right. often get paid to mm. implement the complexity, support the complexity. So again, well-intended, yeah. I'm not knocking them. They believe in all of that, but there mm. are just the forces that are driving an additive mentality that it is really hard to push back against that and, 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 and say, let's, we shouldn't be doing that. So there's, there's just the incentive structure is mm. unfortunate. Well, I'm excited to see what <laughs> you do about that in 2024, Tim. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> All right. We have got to start to wrap up. This has been so great talking to all of you like i like how passionate we are about these topics about what our industry is going through i don't know any final words wisdom 
let's go around. We're not doing a last call, but maybe just uh, any encouragement. to. It's the- just not called the last call, but it's still a last call. It's not. It's a <laughs> word of encouragement to our listeners, Julie. Yeah. <laughs> Panic. The word of encouragement is for every listener to find their little community of like five other people that they can periodically sit and have conversations about the space yeah. like we have. So I, I, I'm going to throw out my more my like positive thankfulness of having this podcast go for another Aww. year where I get to to rant and uh actually get <laughs> smacked around by by Mo and and others. Uh, hey. Justifiably. And frankly, Tim, <laughs> well deserved. And frankly, Tim, we're sick of your shit. <laughs> That's right. No. <laughs> oh man. I tried to start it off. No, you did. I'm waiting for somebody else to go. Now. It's too good. It's too high of a bar. I, oh, jeez. I, I think I think my thing, and we actually didn't touch on it today, that just like I keep coming back to is like we keep talking about the like technology and the problems and the working with stakeholders and stuff. And like the bit that I just am already thinking about for next year is like how do we keep developing the soft skills so that we can do all the stuff we need to do and fit in with AI or whatever the technology is. It's still just like the bit. Yeah. That's top of my mind is the, how do we communicate better? And it doesn't matter what the technology we're using is. It's still just like, Mm -hmm. it's all about that stuff. I don't know if that was positive or just like pensive, but I um, like it. I don't know. This will be my small piece of advice. At least this is what I'm trying to remind myself going into next year. So maybe it's helpful. An oldie but a goodie. Control what you can control. I think especially like we were just talking about in the face of complexity, sometimes just focusing in on like your sphere of influence, the direct people you work with, like what good can you do that day in that Mm. space um, Mm. can be kind of helpful and calming when things feel crazy and big and too much to mm. move on. Asking ChatGPT to write That's a an analyst-oriented serenity prayer right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> send it on over. <laughs> I think, um, in, in the spirit of like things to keep in mind for 2024, because generative AI f- for me still just feels like an answer begging for a question, and this kind of ties still to what we were just talking about with chasing technology that if we really stay rooted in the business problems and the opportunities, like you really can't go wrong. Right. So just making sure that like you're constantly checking in and asking yourself that I think will help kind of be some of your bumpers on your (laughs) lane to make sure that you're not, you know, just chasing the next cool, shiny thing. Mm, 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 mm. Oh my God. Grant me the serenity to accept the data I cannot change, courage to interpret the insights I can, and the wisdom to distinguish between statistical noise and meaningful <laughs> patterns. Uh, and it goes on, but I'll stop there. Tim, that could be your first tattoo. Just get that. That feels right. Oh man. The Analyst Power Hour pioneering the first 12 step program for analysts. That's perfect. <laughs> it's, oh got, it's got five full stanzas. So, yeah. That's great. Josh, you got anything? Uh, I don't know. Um, just try to be useful. <laughs> that's my that's my mantra for mm. 2024. Just try to be I useful. I love that. That's good. Simple. Sweet. I like it. 
where my head's at. It's kind of channeling like Cassie Kozhikov, right? She's like, I was thinking or, of her when you said that, Josh. I was like, that makes me think yeah. of Cassie. Oh, nice. It's interesting. I think for me, I think the thing I'm trying to do more of in 2024 is just take my mistakes and learn from them. So like always, but you know, it's a, it's been a fun year and I look forward to next year in terms of what things will happen. And I think it's, um, you know, somebody said, and I'm clinging to this desperately, that it's a sign of intelligence to learn from your mistakes. So that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, that's the encouragement I'd have for somebody else out there. If you're making mistakes too, then just remember that if you're learning and adapting to them, it's a sign of intelligence. So you're super smart. Mm. All right. Well, 2024 is going to be a great year and robots will be able to do our jobs for us. And we'll be able to sit back and just pluck insights from the lowest hanging fruit. Uh, that one's especially for Jim Kane out there. And uh Yeah. I don't know what else to say, but obviously no show would be complete without a huge thanks to Josh. And you're right here, Josh. Yay. Uh, so thank you. Josh, you are so useful with every episode. Yeah. No, I'm just saying like it's, we don't get to thank you in person that often on the show. So thank you for everything you do for the show. Oh, and thank you guys. Julie and Val, uh, what a privilege to have you two join us this year as co-hosts. Thank you so much for all the work and time you've put in to help push, push and pull the show forward into new and exciting areas. This has been a breath of fresh air and amazing to have you both join the show this year. So thank you. No one's told me that they regretted it yet. So <laughs> yeah, all the, all the surveys, Maybe in 2024. all the surveys we've put out have been pretty positive. <laughs> 2024 year in review. Yeah. Get the hook. And Tim and Mo, what can I say? But you two are awesome. And I love working with you on this show. It's a delight, even though we might not always get along. <laughs> Uh, no, but we typically <laughs> always come back together and that's what sort of makes this podcast happen. So I loved looking at the issues that face our industry together. And I look forward to next year. Please do reach out to us. If you try out our AI tool, astral.com slash at analytics power hour, I think we'll have it in the show notes, but go try it out. See try, what you think. Try astral.com or bit.ly slash APH dash astral at digital analytics. Oh, ah, shit. I don't know. There you go. Yeah, that's right. I don't know the link. So we'll get that figured out and put it in the show notes. And that's where you can find it. And yeah, anything else you want to say to us, please do so. Measure Slack or LinkedIn, whatever you want to say. We, we appreciate you. Appreciate you listening. All right. Onward and upward into 2024. And I know I speak for all of my co-hosts, Julie, Tim, Mo, Josh, Val, when I say whatever 2024 throws you away, keep analyzing. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going with your comments, suggestions, and questions on Twitter at, at AnalyticsHour, on the web at AnalyticsHour.io, our LinkedIn group, and the Measure Chat Slack group. Music for the podcast by Josh Crowhurst. So smart guys wanted to fit in, so they made up a term called analytics. Analytics don't work. I love Venn diagrams. It's just something about those three circles and the analysis about where there is the intersection, right? 
just have to <laughs> I know. That. love that. No, as I was reading that, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like we're just gonna dump into it. It's You're like it'll happen. Right. There's it's there's it's Tim all over again. There's You're like good God, how long did it take to calm me down? You no, somehow Tim Val asked in a way that doesn't make me upset. So I don't know what she's doing differently. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, good that you were recording that. Glad I got that on. Yeah. (laughs) Oopsies. In 2015, I had to become an official registered U.S. importer exporter because of all of the shit that I bought from Australia. (laughs) What? My husband was like, "I'm sorry. What is happening?" What? Wait, what did you buy? Brand Black Milk that did like the crazy leggings and everything. It was like started that trend. Yeah, well, I was obsessed. Okay. Also, do you think I'm a crazy legging person? <laughs> my like my clothes are like white, cream, gray, black, navy. That is like the most color I own. That's I'll awesome. show you some pictures. What was that? Oh, what was the company that they had on Seinfeld? Was Vandalay. <laughs> Vandalay Industries. Oh, Vandalay Industries. I'm so tempted yeah. to include that in my paperwork. You have no idea. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Valdelay Industries. Import, export. <laughs> That's such a random. How do you do it, Val? That's so random. Did they just stop uh, you? Like, maybe you're buying too many leggings from Australia. You, like, here's some extra paper. Well, every, like, I had to go through customs. And so you once must be a reseller. Nope, them, just for yeah. me. <laughs> Could they give you, did they give you a wholesale price? You'd just be like, yeah, I'm a business. So just, you know, I'm your black milk U.S. Uh, retailer that. now. But I only need one size. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very specific target audience. That's right. I know I my consumer. What's, what's the one? Oh my God. I can so imagine you in this. Uh, okay. Perfect. And we're doing no last call. No last calls. That's right. We're going to scream at each other till the very end. Uh, okay, no calls. All right, we are singing the Christmas song though at the end. Everybody, practice that. I'm sorry. I was like, which one? I'm mostly. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm game. I was mostly trying to get a reaction out of Mo, and she was like perfectly straight faced, like, yeah, I totally expected that. <laughs> Okay. No, I was like, fuck yeah. you, that's never happened. I know, okay, well, <laughs> same thing. All right, let's go. Rock flag and be useful. <laughs> <laughs>